All right, man, it's such a blessing to be able to drop batteries on the floor and <clears throat> such a blessing to be able to worship with people and, and to sit there singing that, singing that song about how, how great God is, you know, from my past, an old song, which I appreciate the old songs, but to pull that out and to be thinking just how, how awesome it is and how privileged I am to be able to worship with people that really believe that and are, that are pressing in to know God more and to respond from hearts that really mean what we sing. And, and so hearing you guys sing, and you know, that uh, although you could sing louder, by the way, I don't know what y'all so embarrassed about, but, but anyway, to hear you guys sing, like when the, when the volume of the music went down, to hear that and know that the, the individual voices that make up the, the congregation are people who really, really do love God and really uh, want to know more about God so we can, we can love him more. Uh, know more, more about God by experience, not just, uh, just from reading scripture and listening to the sermons. And so that, that inspires me because that's not common. And uh, we, are, we are seeing that same thing happening as we're multiplying community uh, in Ruston. Uh, so this past week, man, we just... Uh, we're at a place in Ruston where we're trying to make a decision about how, not if, but how we're going to engage the rest of the community. And uh, as you can imagine, y'all with me already? No. Yeah? Okay. I know it takes a little while to settle in, but I want you to hear these stories because really, they're going to plug into what we're talking about. But part of the struggle of, of that is you, some of you will remember, and some of you are doing this now, so you will really remember, but remember what it was like to, to disengage from a, a life history of bondage to religious legalism and a culture of, of to-do lists and to-don't lists, you know, and, and, a, and a heavy pressure to perform and a, a, a sermons that are filled with ought-tos and should and supposed to and better or else, you know, those kinds of messages. Most of us have grown up in that. I've grown up, not only did I grow up in it, I also perpetuated that and used the same terminology for, for years in my life. But you know what it's like to come out of that, right? To see the grace of God and the, the grace of God that makes us righteous doesn't, doesn't require from us anything to become righteous. We just receive it as a free gift of God and we start to recognize that and all of a sudden our hearts come to life. Am I with, y'all with me? Right? Our hearts have come to life. So this is real to us. It's like just sitting in an oasis of water, sucking in the, the beauty of who God is. You know, just drinking it up every day. Just, just we can't get enough of it. And, and hopefully it rises up every now and then in some authentic worship where the songs that we're singing to God are really coming from our hearts. And we're saying, yes, I've been drinking that water and I, it's good water, right? I've been drinking of God and it's good. And so this morning I was reading in the Moravian readings, uh, just the daily readings that I read. And, and the passage out of somewhere uh, said those that, you know, are thirsty, uh, you know, that, uh, oh, it's a psalm, Psalm 8, I think, where he says, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm quenched of my thirst, but I live among a people uh, who are dying of thirst, basically. That's not the way he said it. I can't remember it right now. But, uh, but anyway, that whole concept is what I've been thinking these last couple of days. Uh, Friday morning after our meeting on Thursday night in Ruston and that sweet church that's for the first time experiencing the grace of God in community are so scared 
that if they bring somebody else in, it's going to interrupt that. You know, and, that, and I get it. We, we were the same way. Uh, so, so afraid also that if we break a group off, that it's going to interrupt that, right? But we, we did. We broke this group off. And so afraid that if we, if we invite other people in, we're going to lose what we have. And so afraid that if we break out of what we have, it's going to turn into what we had, you know, this other institution thing. Or as one of the group members said on Thursday night, professional church, you know, thought that was a good illustration of it. We don't want to have a professional church. Right, because we have we we are swimming in the grace of God, and we are experiencing the beauty of who He is, and we're discovering more about Him, and it's so good. And we just want to drink it up, drink it up, drink it up. But think about it this way: This is the thought I had this week, and I, I want us to get this in our minds as we start thinking about multiplying community. And you think about what your role is in multiplying community. In Ruston. We have, listen, we are, everybody understands that we are nothing, right? Everybody get that? No, no. Do we get that? We are nothing. But, but God in us is everything. If God can have access to us, which, is what, which our goal is at the gathering place, is that the Holy Spirit would have complete reign and we would be totally surrendered to his work, then what, can ha- what happened in the book of Acts can happen in every community that we go to. But here's what I know, that there was a group of people in Ruston that needed some water. They needed the fresh water of the truth about who God is. They needed a fresh taste of who he is, and they needed to experience him the way that we've been experiencing him. So we went there by God's, to deliver water, by God's command. All right, again, it's not us. We just went to deliver water. And now there's some people that found the oasis, and they're drinking it, and they're swimming in it, and we're bathing in it. And we're, we're gulping it down. And all around them is a community still of thirsty people who are dying of thirst and wondering if there's anything more. And we're swimming in the pool. And right from within the eye shot of us, that's the earshot, just, we can see them. <laughs> right? We can see just in the distance, we can see that there are, there are people that are thirsty and wondering, where's this secret oasis? It's kind of like in Black Panther, that hidden island, you know. We're right there, but nobody can see it because we're not, we're not out there giving this water away. And that's what God brought us up there for. And here's what I know, that it, 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 is, it makes no sense outside of the Holy Spirit's work that God would choose to continue to involve us in church planting in anywhere. We are not a big church. We don't have resources to, to go out all over the world and, and, and spread the message of Christ. This, this simple message of the, the grace of God and the, the gift of God of salvation and the imputed righteousness of God given to us and a heart for God and, and the Holy Spirit living in us and how to walk in him, that simple message. We, why us? Why would God choose a small church? There's only one reason. It's because we have surrendered ourselves to the Holy Spirit's will, and we are walking with him, and it's what he created us for. We're convinced of that. It's what we teach. It's what we're, we're, we're even trying to, again, struggling against the culture that's still in us to, to fight for this, to bring this message to the world. And so that's our goal. And so we, that's, we need to do that here. We need to get our eyes open because this community, filled with churches, filled with Christian people, 
filled with religion. You can't put another church anywhere other than in a home, which is our goal. Still thirsty, out there, dying of thirst, and we're, we're, we're swimming in the water Sunday and weeknights and in our quiet times, and we've got to get outside the walls of this church. And it's not going to be through some program because that's not the way the Bible describes it or det- uh, created it. The biblical method is that you, full of water, go and bring it to somebody else. In the place where you work, in the place where you live, in the places where you eat, the restaurants that you go to, the, place, the, the checkout person at the checkout counter. Well, that's a short encounter, Glenn. I can't do it then. Yes, you can if you get that mindset of a presentation out of your mind. There are people that I'm building relationships right now, and I'm only in Ruston one morning a week, and this is not to pump me up. This is just biblical. It's what the Holy Spirit is teaching me. And I've had multiple encounters with people there, little moments this week, another moment next week, another moment the next week, because I go to the same place at the same time, and I pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life while I'm there in relationships that I have. There is no sacred secular divide. Remember, we talked about it last week, that everything in life is sacred. Where you buy your groceries is sacred. There are sacred appointments waiting for you in the grocery store, and it's not for you to go and make a quick presentation of the gospel while someone's trying to buy buy their Fruit Loops, (laughs) all right? It's to just say, hey, can I get that for you? You know, it's to just say to to go to the same person at the same checkout counter every time intentionally and say, oh, I had you last time, and they don't know that you did it intentionally, but you waited in a long line for them, and you walk into their line, and and you, you meet with them, you talk to them, or, you know, you go to the same restaurant, then get the same waiter. Ask for them. That's a, that's a blessing to them already. And then tr- take care of them financially before you leave. Uh, and, and let them know your name and ask questions about them that doesn't lead to, and now three weeks from now, I'm going to share the gospel with you, so get ready, right? No, maybe a year or two years from now, I might open up a conversation about God if God opens up that conversation naturally. But we're just opening ourselves up because we have water to give to people. We should be joyful. We will be joyful. We not should be. That sounds like you've got to pull that out of yourself. You will be joyful when you start walking in obedience to the, to, to the Lord all the time. Jesus said, if you abide in me, which is obeying what I say and experiencing me, the fruit of the reality of who I am by, uh, through that obedience, then... He said, I've told you these things that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. My joy is beginning to become complete, personally, as a pastor and a Christian for 30-something, 40 years, over 40 years. I'm finally starting to get some joy in my life that's starting to bubble out. And I need to learn, I want us to learn how to, how to open a spout out to somebody else who's thirsty, dying of thirst, and and a lot of what they're experiencing in this town and in Christian community, I think, even, and in with us, maybe, might be causing them to miss that. So I invite us uh, as a group to open ourselves up to becoming that for people. Not just swim in it, but let's share it with other people. I'll talk some more about this in the, in the course of the message, and this should be short today because, I uh, honestly, it's just two pages, so... I don't know, I mean, it could take me two hours to cover that, but, um, but it's so sweet. The Lord opened another door for us. While I'm standing, you talk about, you know, we've been talking about, and by the way, I want to go ahead and open this up because the text does today. 
about how trials and problems in the life, in, in the world, that we have as Christians in the world, these distractions that come up in our lives, right, that try to steal away our joy and get us focused on the giant that stands before us instead of the God uh, who the giant, the uncircumcised Philistine is shouting defiance against. You know, we f- start focusing on our problems. And what we've been discovering in our, in our one-on-one meetings this week, these last couple of weeks, is that, that those are tickets to, to the Disney cruise. And when he comes in and offers a distraction or a problem, what he's doing really, what Satan's doing is saying, hey, pay attention because God's fixing to take what I'm doing right now and turn it around for something good. Now, he doesn't ever say that because he's trying to deceive us, but you need to hear his voice saying that. My mom, I, I come home from a, uh, hauling furniture to my son in Nashville, picking up his dead car and hauling it back to, to Pineville. And one hour before I get home, I get a call my, about my mom and dad being in a car wreck, both of them in the hospital, and they're still in the hospital. My mom's in ICU, and uh, we're not sure she was going to make it at the time. Okay, by the way, she's doing great. Sorry, yesterday she's she's gonna make it. She's gonna make it out, and uh, I'm convinced of that. So don't be sad about that. But that's a. Can you imagine doing what I was doing that week already? You know, worn out, and then having to go spend the night trying to figure out what they're gonna do with my mom. And they they start to try a surgery at 11 o'clock that night, and she can't. They can't do it because she can't sustain. She they, her vitals start dropping. And in, in, while my mom's in ICU, I get a visit from a friend of mine who's, a, who's the past, uh, worship leader, pastor at uh, First Baptist Lafayette, who knows my mom, knows us well. We're roommates in college. Well, not roommates, but we we're kind of sweet mates in college with he, he and his wife. He comes in and he's, he, in, you know, to check on mom. I appreciated that. We were talking for a little bit. He says, man, what's going on with you? And I had just gotten back from Honduras and was planning to go back that week. And I told him what was going on about the church planting, which all of you know about, most of you know about. We were planting churches in Honduras, and God totally opened the door. It was strange. Why is, again, why is God taking this group and bringing it over there? Because we have water. And, and now we have a pastor there who's full of water, and he's going out in the communities, and he's giving it to the pa- pastors there. And we'll go back, and we'll keep on bringing you know, a, a fresh bucket to pour into them. But while I was talking to him, telling him that, man, he said, we have this orphanage in Romania that we ended up, I didn't know the whole story about it, but they had this orphanage in Romania that he's been visiting since 2001. Now, I'm about to unfold this story for you. I don't know what's going to happen. I did this with Dario, if y'all remember. Okay, so I'm going to unfold part of this story, and I don't know where we're going with this, so just pray with us about it. Because uh, the elders had, don't even know this yet. All right, I'm sharing the story from, Friday, from this Friday. So, uh, he calls me, he asked me what was going on. He said, man, we have this orphanage up there, and, and it's, it's been really good. We've got kids that we've had since preschool now. I've been there since 2001, and they're starting to, now the first group of them are going to graduate, and these are gypsies that, uh, Roma, Roma gypsies that don't have, they don't connect with this, the, the uh, government at all. They don't let them have their names. They don't, you know, they're, they're off the radar, off the grid, and they, they live in poverty uh, but that's a, chi- it's a, it's a transient lifestyle that they choose. And, and so this group has been uh, offer, offering options for, to help to get these kids into public school so they can get an education. 
Uh, and so they've been working with them for years to do that. And they, they train up the preschoolers, get them ready for first grade, and they, get them, they do all that's necessary to get them into public school. And now their first group is about to graduate. About 20 of them are fixing to graduate. And he says, we were just talking this last year about how it's great. The education aspect of it is great. He said, but we don't have any churches in the area. And, and the, the, the uh, prejudice against the, the gypsies uh, is so strong that they don't want them in their churches. And, and so he said, man, we've been just grasping at straws to try and figure this stuff out because neither one of them are a pastor and they, you know, they, they don't represent a church. They started, started this organization, just this friend of mine and a guy in Chicago started the organization. And they're just grasping straws of what to do because the state church is the, is, you know, is the Greek Orthodox church and they don't uh, really want a lot of other churches, but they allow it. So it's, there's freedom for churches to be there. So when I started talking about planting churches, he lit up. He said, man, I'd love to, for you to meet these guys and for us to talk about y'all helping us to just tell us what you're doing to plant churches in Romania. Well, I met with them on Friday night because those guys were in town. They invited me during the week to go at the last minute. And I was going to be down there visiting mom anyway, so I went and ate with them. And I just got to tell you, God's fixing to open up another door. In a place that has no churches, no water, we're fixing to be able to go as a gathering place church, fixing to be able to transport some fresh water to Romania. I know it's fixing to happen. I don't know all the details. We can't afford to do that. Y'all with me? (laughs) We can't afford to do it. I don't have time. you, You know, we... I don't have, we don't have money, but here's what I know. God's about to open a door, and we're going to walk into a culture where we're going to experience stuff. We don't know what's there, and God's fixing to tell us exactly what to do with all the different issues, the same that he does here, because that's what he does when he has people that are surrendered to him. So I'm excited about the possibility, and we're going we're gonna to experience some different kinds of things when we go to Romania, and we've been experiencing those same kinds of things in Honduras, and we've been experiencing them in Ruston, and we've been experiencing them here at home. Because there's certain things that are characteristic of people who are surrendered to the the mission of leading people to know God. There are certain things that are characteristic to a church, a community of people that are determined that we are going to lead people into an active relationship with God. That's going to be life transforming. Satan hates it. And he has things structured the way he likes it. And so it's going to mean suffering for us. Yeah, there's going to be some suffering involved, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready to suffer. We need to be ready to pay the price uh, out of our pockets. We need to be ready to pay the price out of our possessions and our time. We need to pay it. We need to be willing to, ready to, and ask the Lord how to and, and follow his leadership. But we need to be ready to do whatever, it is, whatever is necessary to join the Lord in multiplying community. In the passage today, we're going to see some suffering again on the part of Paul and Silas, and they suffer for one reason. It's because as you multiply community and you get into some new culture, a new community where there are strongholds that are there, Satan has those strongholds already in place, and God has to, by his Holy Spirit, go right to the strongholds and start to address those. And so it happens in this story today. The title of the message is Sacred Strongholds because there's not a problem, trial, stronghold, distraction that comes into your life that God did not allow it to happen. 
And that by his sovereign plan, he doesn't already have a way to take that and turn it in to something sacred. So we're calling the sacred strongholds. And I want to show you today, real quickly, what happens in this story where, where these, these strongholds are obvious and in existence and God takes all of them and, and the suffering that the disciples are willing to face with the Lord's, by the Lord's hand uh, causes those distractions or those strongholds to become sacred. And if they didn't, if they weren't willing to go through the suffering, then the strongholds would just remain strongholds in a community. So we're in Philippi. Remember last week, we, we got to Philippi, and there wasn't a synagogue there. And, and this is because of the cry of the man in the, in the vision of Paul, where the man was crying and said, saying, come help us in Macedonia. And so he goes, and they have this encounter with Lydia and some women. And, and last week, we talked about how God leads you when he takes you into a community. He brings you to the church, to the people of peace and the place of peace. And, and wherever that is, we look for it. Okay, y'all see what I'm talking about when you think about what I just told you about Romania, how John and, and his friend from Chicago and this organization called Another Child that they formed has, has already gone to that place and found people of peace and a place of peace. And now it's time for someone to go and address the strongholds. It's time for the next step to happen, for the Holy Spirit to bring people in, to come in and address these strongholds. And, and, so, and do whatever's necessary, suffering included, if necessary, in order to bring about an understanding of the truth of the gospel and the grace of God that will be water to the souls of these, of these um, gypsies in Romania and everywhere else that God has us going. Y'all with me? So let's look at it together. Acts chapter 16, this is what happens. Last week we read the first part of chapter 16, and we'll read through verse 24. So they were making a pattern of doing what we read here in six, in, in, uh, six, I'm sorry, six. No, it's 16, it's 16. So he says, as we, I just didn't put it up there. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So as they were going to the place of prayer, remember last week you said there was now a pattern. Lydia took them into, into her home. It was a place of peace and she was a person of peace and they were, were, work, were working out of her home and doing ministry. And so they were, this was their new pattern, going to this Riverside uh, church to have uh, worship and to have church together, to experience all the things that God had created church to be. They're met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain from, by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing uh, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that, they, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
All right. Just from that one portion of this passage, I want to talk about some strongholds that I think are obvious. First of all, there are demonic strongholds that are in this, in this city. Remember, this is, this, is, uh, this is in Philippi. And it's a place, it's a Roman, Roman uh, province or city that's full of idolatry and polytheism. All kinds of different gods are there, but they're accepted gods. They're gods that are accepted because these people are Romans, and it's what they do. And so it's okay to have another god. It's just not okay if you're not Roman to have another god. That's their way of practicing. And so they saw these Jews coming in to destroy that. But they're demonic strongholds, and this woman was possessed by a demon, uh, a demon that... Most likely, uh, the, the word that's used there is, it would be our word for python. It was a, 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 a demon that was connected with Apollos. And so they had this, this demonic influence, but demons are real. Everybody with me? We talked about that before we started this study. They are real. This is a, a satanic attack. It's a satanic stronghold. And people don't realize that there is power that demons possess. Now, the, the, the demons don't, Satan doesn't have an opportunity, a, a, a capability of predicting the future. But he can uh, use his powers to manipulate the minds of people and to work in people to get them to believe certain things. And he can cause a person to say something that Satan himself can see is probably going to happen. And so all this power is being affected and this woman is, is being used by Satan to demonstrate some kind of power. And here's what Satan would want more than anything else for our demon-possessed person. A person that is under the influence of, of a demonic force, here's what he would want more than anything else, is he would, would want for people to connect that power with the power of God. Think about it with me. Think about those people who are doing things in their own power, but they want to say that they're doing it in the power of God and because they want to be connected with people and have influence with the people of God. Satan does it all the time. He does it in churches. He did it in my life. He influenced me to, to put a demonic stronghold on people of legalism that is not biblical. Now, I, I, he didn't do it with my knowing. He did it behind the scenes. But I was convinced that I needed to put this, this bondage on people like the Jewish leaders were putting on the people in Jerusalem. This pharisaical kind of religion that added to Scripture. That's demonic, but it's what we do in order to gain a lot of people in our churches. It, it's, a, it's alive and well in, in central Louisiana, this spirit of divination. And what would Satan do? He would want them to see, he would want us all to just be blind to the fact that that is from the devil and not from God. I was blinded by, to that fact for most of my life. And so Satan does that. So she's, she's crying out. Why wouldn't she cry out? These people serve the most high God. That information wasn't, wasn't a lie. It was truth, and Satan knew it. And so he could give that to this lady. And now it looks like she's agreeing with them. She's one of them. She's throwing in with them, right? I have the same power they have. 
And then when they're gone, she'd say, I have the same power they have. Remember that. Now, y'all come on, follow me. And that's what happens. Satan takes that spirit of that power that he has, and he gives it to people in order for them, and tries to connect them with God's people. And it becomes mythology. You know, Paul, Peter told us, to, or Paul told Timothy to be careful about that. That people would turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths because they would gather around them teachers who said the things their itching ears want to hear. That itching ear comes from the devil. He puts that in us. He t- doesn't put it in us. He tempts us to take that on, to gather around us people who say what our itching ears want to hear. And they turned where? Away from the truth and aside to myths. And so there's a stronghold, a demonic stronghold, a idolatry that's going on here that they're trying to connect with Christ and, and these disciples and the message of Christ and the power of Christ. A second stronghold, the people uh, in that town, there were people that were, were receiving undeserved power due to wealth. There was a stronghold that was tied to wealth. It was popularity and power that came from, from having money. I, I don't have to speak about that long before we recognize that, right? Uh, I mean, there is power that comes with money and position that comes with money. And both of those things together provide an undeserved amount of power and control in a community. We've been watching things unfold um, over the past few years in politics, and there's so much struggle going on, and we see it all the time. People who have money and power uh, because of their position are using that position and power to move people in a wrong direction. That's, that can be a stronghold. A poli- political power can be a stronghold. Financial power can be a stronghold for me for so long, man. Listen, I'm right this week. As I'm thinking about, okay, how are we going to minister to the churches in Honduras? And then now we're going to Romania, maybe. How are we going to, how are we going to fund that? Our, our, you know, most of you know that a couple of weeks ago we had $34 in the bank in our checking account. How does a church with $34 in the bank start a new ministry in Romania of multiple churches? You know, I can tell you one thing that Satan's put in my mind. You need to get some people with money in your church. You need to change what you're saying and what you're teaching. Go out there and get people with money. But you know what happens when you go out and you get people with money and you talk them into coming into your church? Is you stop preaching the truth. You start preaching to wealthy people. You start accommodating them and trying to make sure that we don't lose their money. And, 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 that's, and God will let us do that if we want to. But I can tell you guys, I am done with that. Y'all with me? We are done with that as a church. We're not going after people with money. Not because people with money don't need Jesus. They do. But, they, but when God brings them and they get a taste of the water and they come in here and jump in the pool with us, they might have a, a Gucci swimsuit on and we got cut off shorts. And, and that's fine. But we're all swimming in the same water, right? I mean, that's fine. Come on. I, really, I mean, the first person that Paul led to the Lord was, a, was Sergius Paulus. The Bible says an educated man. He was a wealthy man. He was a governor. Everyone needs Jesus, but we got to watch ourselves. There are cultures that you walk into, and that, in that culture, you know, we're going to find out that there's a stronghold uh, that's tied to wealth. In Honduras, there's a little bit of a problem with that. 
that these little Honduran pastors will do anything they, they have to do in order to, and we are the wealthy people, by the way. When we go over there and we, we do ministry with them, they want to stay connected to us. And before long, they start asking for, hey, can you send me about $20? My mom's in, in you know, not feeling well. Or, you know, then it becomes that they build relationships. And if we cater to that, then they're looking to us for the, to get their needs met instead of to Christ. So we got to be careful about that. But we've got to also watch when we walk into a community that people are falling in love with Christ and not trying to, get to, to change the message of Christ in order to get people with money. All right, So it's a stronghold, and it's definitely one that's here. You see it in the story. There were also, number three, there were customs that were protected by the magistrates who were kind of uh, marshals, if you will, of different aspects of life uh, in, in the Roman colonies. So these magistrates, there were customs that were protected, and they hindered uh, any new practices or beliefs. And so you see them acting on that. They go to the magistrate, and the magistrate says no, and they, they get more of their people, probably wealthy people, to rise up because Philippi was a wealthy city. They get all these wealthy people to rise up and say, yes, you're not going to stop. You're not going to take away our, our wealth. You might have messed that one guy up, but you're not going to mess the rest of us up. They're going against our customs in our religion. And so there were customs that they had in place that needed to be broken. Certain set beliefs that they had, these paradigms that were stopping them from being able to receive a new message, the message of Christ. And so somehow that had to be broken. There was also, number four, a prison there that was used to enforce the whims of the wealthy and the elite. This prison existed to be able to to do whatever the, the, the whims of the wealthy and elite and influential in the community were. It was obvious, later on we'll see it, that they were not guilty of anything. But they were able to get them not only beaten, but thrown into prison. And so this institution was there, enforcing the whims of the wealthy and the influential. And we're going to find that in places that we go. There will be institutions that are there that, that enforce that. Uh, one, of the, one of the toughest things in Honduras when we first started going was just the government was so bad. The president was, was, uh, was crooked, and there were a lot of politicians, crooked politicians and policemen and people in the armed forces that, that were crooked, and they were all under the control of this crooked system. And, uh, and that institution there, the, the government in Honduras was hindering our ability to spread the gospel in some ways. But what happened was they got a new president. First time we went to Honduras, San Pedro Sula, the, the airport that we fly into, was the most dangerous city in the world. And the whole world. Like, whole world. Number one most dangerous city in the whole world. This past time, time that I went, it was number 26. New Orleans is number 46. All right, so we're going up. I asked, I asked our pastor in Honduras, Dario, I said, Dario, what's making the difference? He said, well, the new president has put politicians in jail. He has fired all these, all these military leaders, and, and he, he's, he's throwing people in jail. He's doing the hard thing, right? And he's suffering for it, but he's doing it. And because this institution is changing, now we're starting to see an openness, uh, more open uh, lanes for the gospel to be shared. And it's true anywhere, anywhere that we go. There was a prison here that was being used 
and it was used at the whims of the influential and the wealthy. All right, and that stronghold needs to be attacked. And then the town, number five, the town was full of people who were victims of the stronghold. They were victims of all these strongholds that were all around them. Okay, get again, get your eyes outside of the, the, the pool of water that we're swimming in, the oasis that we enjoy, and look out. And inside this community were people who were victims to these strongholds. And they had no way out. There was no water in the town. And so here comes Paul and Silas. And they immediately move to action. And they cast the demon out of this girl. They give her time. They give it, get a feel for what's going on in the town. And they realize what Satan's doing. They cast the demon out of this girl. And they're, they're, they experience all of these strongholds, the power of these strongholds. They are the, they are the brunt of these strongholds is, is placed on them. And now they're thrown into prison. And while they're in prison, instead of prison being a place of whining and complaining, instead of prison being a place where they're going to, they're going to uh, you know, feel sorry for themselves and be defeated and can't wait till they get out so they can go back to Jerusalem, instead of it being that kind of experience, they are suffering. They've already been beaten and dragged through the streets and made a mockery of by the strongholds and the people that are in those strongholds. And, the, and even the victims are shouting a weak cry from the distance because they know if they don't, they, they're going to be uh, the next ones dragged through the streets. And the city is just thirsty for something. They're thirsty for God and they don't know it. And, and while they're in prison, instead of whining about it, Look at their response. Look at what happens when they get thrown into prison. Verse 25. It becomes the incubator. Literally, this prison cell becomes the incubator of, a sac- of, of, of making these strongholds sacred. This is where it happens. It all happens in the prison. Verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I know we're used to hearing that because this is not a new story for you, but I just want you to pause for a minute. And think about that. They are praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer uh, woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because of the stronghold. All right. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I see the water, and I want some of it. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in, the ho- in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Here's church happening, okay? Community's happening again. It just happens. When you believe, community happens. He's being selfless. He takes them into his home. He feeds them. He's taking care of their wounds. And that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. And he and all his family. Then he brought them into, into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. 
All right, listen. The disciples made a decision. The, the Paul and Silas and the others that were with them made a decision to stay at, their own, at, at the leading of the Holy Spirit by their own will. They stayed after Lydia was saved. And they went regularly throughout the community. They're seeing what's going on. They visualize these strongholds. They're praying and asking God, how do we take care of these strongholds? It seems like there's not an opening other than this small gathering at the river. There's not an opening for the gospel because there's all these strongholds that are going on. And they knew once they prayed about that and began to seek the Lord, that whatever the Lord would do, particularly when they made a decision, it seemed like this, this woman had been with them for a while. This, this woman that was possessed by this, uh, this demon had been with them for a while to the point that it began to annoy them. I don't think it, it annoyed them that she just kept screaming like, would you please shut up? It wasn't that kind of annoyance. It was like, Satan, you're about to get it. I'm trying to hold on here because I know <laughs> this is going to cause some mess, but you're trying to hold on. Is there any other way to do this? And I think by God's, again, by God's spirit, because there's nothing that Paul and Silas are doing that's not led by the spirit. Man, they are surrendered to him. He said, all right, time, it's time. And he knew that the casting out of that demon would mean that he would have to suffer unjustly. And he did it anyway. And the result of that is that these strongholds became sacred. The Holy Spirit filled those strongholds, turned those strongholds for good. Knocked them down. Defeated them. Replaced them. What was a distraction now became divine. Because the Holy Spirit, uh, because these men were willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, they cast out the demon and it happened. In our 29 meetings with the 29, we've been discovering that as we've been looking at Satan's attacks, his attempts to defeat us. And when he puts something on us, rather than looking back months later and saying, wow, I see the benefit of that. God really turned that for good. He is so good that we can say it in the moment. He's always done that. God always does that for his children. The word says that, that God works all things together. Good and bad things are circumstances. What, what seems good and bad. He works it all together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. And we've seen it in our lives. We look back at the, the whole of the experience and say, uh, you know, after we, have, after we have fought and been filled with anxiety and worry for months dealing with the, with the day-to-day stuff, you know, with the day-to-day of it, that we can look back. I, I mean, I was in a place for four years of every day. It seemed like I was struggling, worrying, filled with anxiety. And then when God got me out of the situation, I said, oh, wow, God, that was useful. And I would go back and do it again. Now, but in the moment, I, didn't, I wasn't embracing this, the moment. We need to realize that in the moment, when, the, when we see the stronghold, when we're experiencing the stronghold, that at this moment, as soon as we cast out this demon, whatever happens to us is going to be ultimately for the good. They didn't know what God was going to do. They just knew they were going to suffer. And, that, and now, now they are about to experience the fact, the reality that God's going to take that strong, those strongholds and turn them into something divine. So look at it. What happened? Number one, the demon was cast out and lost its power. The demon was cast out of this woman. She apparently was a well-known woman in the town, following them around. And and her owners were well-known because of their wealth. The demon was cast out and lost its power. That stronghold is done. It's gone. 
Now, the town's not going to like it any more than, and we know that this is the Holy Spirit who is, who is Jesus. Y'all still with me? Remember how we've been looking at how the, the duplicate stories of what Jesus did when he was on the earth, and now the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing? Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the legion, out of the demoniac? And those demons went into the pigs, and the pigs went off the cliff, and everybody in town was mad about it because there goes their meat over the cliff. All right, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He wasn't just cleaning out the demoniac. He was cleaning out the town, right? And the same thing happens here. He's taking away the power and showing the disciples and others that are around that demons don't have any power over Christians. That's huge for Philippi, a place filled with idolatry and demonic activity. And now they know there's a power greater than the demons in this town. Stronghold gone, right? Look at the second one. The wealthy lost their means of power. They lost their means of power and position. If you're depending on your wealth to give you what you need in life, you're about to find out that that can be taken from you in, in a second. And Satan, uh, God takes that stronghold away. Once again, shows them that there's something better than wealth. And, and that your wealth can be taken away in a second. All their power, their, their means of power was gone. Number three, their customs that we talked about were challenged, and a new custom was added. These old customs were, were challenged, and a new custom was added. Look at it in Acts chapter, uh, in verse 35, what happens through 40. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come and go in peace. Who wouldn't, right? All right. We get to get out of here. <laughs> Whew, that was close. We almost died, right? And if they, if they, uh, but they, they're following the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not done knocking down strongholds. So what do they do instead? Look at the next verse. But Paul said to them, They had beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, exclamation point. Let them come themselves and take us out. <laughs> Whew, that's strong right there now. He's willing to suffer some more, right? Suffering is not an issue for him. There, he says, listen, there's a stronghold in this town. We're fixing to address this one. There's some customs that they say they have that we don't fit, and we're about to, to make that right. So tell them, come here. Because if they continue to believe that what Paul and Silas were bringing into town, that this message of Christ and the gospel, if that was a, 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 a breaking their customs, then from now on, they could continue to just say, if you believe in Christ, you're out. Even though there were Jews, Paul being one of them, and probably Silas, who were, Jews, who were Romans by birth. Paul was born in Tarsus of Sicily. And so, so Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. And so he comes to him and says, all right, well, here's what we'll do. You tell them to come to me because I'm a Roman citizen. Now, why didn't he pull that out before? Because God had a stronghold to break in the prison also. He had two strongholds to break. So Paul's just following the Holy Spirit. He's not trying to get out of suffering. He has to go into suffering in order to get this stronghold defeated. Y'all seeing that? 
So he goes into prison, and, and, then, uh, and so the police, in verse 38, reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. I like that. I like it when a custom is afraid. <laughs> I like it when the leader and the, the marshal of the custom is afraid. They were afraid when they heard that, the, that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they, and they took them and asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison, and they didn't leave the city. Look what they did. They went and visited Lydia. This is the way I envision this happening. They came and apologized to him and said, look, we're asking y'all to leave, okay? He said, all right, y'all lead us out of the city. And so they're leaving him and said, but lead us by Lydia's house. And they go by the church first. And they do whatever they want to do. And I, I believe they, they paused a little while at Lydia's house, probably ate something. Drank a little something, right? Hung out with Lydia for a little while. That's what I envision it. May not be true, but I envision that because they're breaking a stronghold and they want people to see it and people need to see it. They need to go to the church and let the church see the magistrates are leading us here. They apologize to us and they're asking us to leave. And so we're going to move on, but y'all keep going strong here, okay? Because all these strongholds are broken. I love that, man. That's so good. So they went and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. There's your pause, right? How do you encourage by just walking by and saying, hey. Now they went inside, and they took, spent some time with them and encouraged them. So listen, the prison could not enforce the whims of the wealthy and influential. It, they defeated that stronghold, and everybody in town knew that if you are a believer in Christ and a Roman citizen, if you are a Roman citizen that lives in Philippi and you put your faith in Christ, you have more power than those that would put you into prison. That's important. Because in their weak, early stages of their faith, they needed to grow to be able to understand that they, could, that they had that power within themselves in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul and Silas defeat that stronghold by the Holy Spirit's power. So no longer could the prison enforce the whims of the wealthy and influential. And here's what I love most. And I'll close with this. The slave girl and the soldier and his family were no longer victims to the strongholds in that town. And everybody else has the possibility, but we see it for the slave girl and we see it for the the soldier and his family. They're, They're no longer victims to the stronghold, but now they have an opportunity to make their own choices. And there's a church there of people who understand the gospel Lydia and her ladies and others now that have been saved and these prisoners who have come to Christ are now going to be joining them at the river for worship on Sunday mornings or Saturday or whenever they worship. And multiple times during the week, they're going to be meeting in homes. This is what Christians do because the Holy Spirit leads them to do the same stuff. They now have the Holy Spirit living in them and they're walking in Christ. And the church of Philippi is about to explode with Roman believers. The first church in Rome. About to explode. And so we're, the, we're here. Two things to, that we need to consider as, as for ourselves out of this message. Number one, strongholds where we live. What are the strongholds right now in this culture, in our own community, that we need to, to with the Holy Spirit's help and wisdom, be a part of destroying, of tearing down, of rocking the, that world and destroying that whole idea and thought? 
I can tell you one, and it's church. And it's going to start right here. I've been reading letters to the church. If you haven't got that book yet, you need to get it because there's some stuff coming that we're going to be considering. Listen, we're already on this page. We've been, we've been evaluating ourselves based on, based on this, this church in Acts, the church in its, in its purest form, being led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what Chan is doing in the book. He's evaluating the church based on biblical principles. What is the church in the Bible? Period. And in that way, when he's looking at that and he's looking at what he was as a megachurch pastor, he's saying there's a stronghold. There are multiple strongholds. And we are, we are buying into the wrong stuff and we need to be small and strong. Not small and weak, small and strong. We need to be small uh, to be able to complete all the tasks that church tells us we need to be in, that, that the Bible tells us we need to be in community with one another. It can't all happen here on a Sunday morning. If you're still in that mentality and mode, we, we're going to break out of that. This is not, you can't, we can't be the community on Sunday morning in this place and that be enough. It's got to be all day, every day. And then it's going to have to be multiple times of us gathering together. We can't do that with everybody, but we can do it in our life groups. Small churches around this town. That if I was to put a sign in your life group yard right now, that, that describes for me, y'all with me? It describes for me what the goal of this church is. That sign would say, a gathering place church meets here. So in the Felter's yard, there'd be a sign that says, a gathering place church meets here. In the Butterfield yard or Meek yard, gathering place church meets here. Right, y'all getting the picture? And the, the, the sign, we put a big old sign outside here, you know what it would say? Gathering church, gathering place churches worship here. This is not the church, right? We can't do all that community needs to do within the context of this building on a Sunday morning. But gathering place churches come together here on Sunday mornings to worship, and it's beautiful. But we need to start thinking about it that way. What, is, what are the strongholds in this community that are stopping from people from being able to drink the water of, of the, the gospel, the good news of who God is, and enjoy the, their relationship with God. There are more, but that's, that's one major stronghold in this community. We need to ask the Lord, what are those strongholds here? And then, as we multiply this community, we do not, cannot assume that the strongholds in other countries, in other cities, in other uh, states is, are the same as they were here. We know that they're different. We know that if we were to plant this church, for instance, I, Russ and I have talked a lot about their experience in, in Kansas City. You know, that, that experience, and he was having a hard time understanding that the, the strongholds there are not the strongholds here when he first came. He said, I don't understand. What, what's, what's the problem? You know, well, well stay here long enough. You're going to see the problem. You know, and now he sees the reality of that stronghold. But they're different in different states. You go to different places, they're different. We have some missionaries in in the Appalachian Mountains right now, and people would say, well, why are you planting a church in the Appalachian Mountains? I mean, that's the heart of the Bible Belt, right? There are churches everywhere. But there's churches that are clannish and are legalistic, and they're very different from us even. It's a stronger stronghold, a different stronghold than here. 
And certainly when we go to Romania, it'll be different there. And it's been different in Honduras and Alaska, in Bush, Alaska. It's very different, the culture there. The strongholds are different, but we're going to also, as we multiply community, we're not going to try and bring a gathering place model church into another location. The gathering place church in Uganda looks a lot different than it does here. A lot different. They can't even read the Bible. So we had to get somebody that understood, was able to read, to read the Bible in three different dialects just to get our few little circles of huts to be able to have the Bible so they could listen to it on CD. It's not a written language where they are. What do you do with that? You don't give up. You go into the culture. You defeat the stronghold. By, by God's power, we did what the Holy Spirit told us to do. And so now they have the Bible in their language. And we just copy CDs. You know, it's beautiful to see. And they, they can have a radio tower that we didn't even know we could have. We have a radio uh, ministry now where the Bible is read on the radio. The basic stories of the Bible are read and explained, and the gospel is being spread. And we're handing radios to villages so that people can hear the gospel. Boy, I don't know what it's going to look like in the places that we go, but here's what we've got, got to know. Wherever we go to multiply this community, there's going to be Satan is already there, and he's already working. And he knows we're coming went to Bulgaria and to the places that we're going that he already heard about. And so he's going to rise up against us when we walk in. And whatever we face, whatever strongholds that rise up when we walk into a town, a new town, new village, new country, we are confident of this. That stronghold can remain, can become sacred if we'll just stay the course of following the Holy Spirit, surrendering our, our ministry and our lives to the Holy Spirit and let him do what he wants to do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for putting that message together. Lord, I, it, uh, it, you have given us a great challenge today that we need to spend some time thinking about and praying about and processing and then applying. And so I pray, Father, for all of us that you would, first of all, God, help us to to see the privilege that we have, God, and being able to experience you in this, in this church, in this body of believers. And Father, thank you for life group leaders and host homes that are willing to open their places up for community to, to be biblical. And, and Father, I pray for everyone here that, that you are leading to be a part of this body, Lord, that they would find their way, uh, Lord, that you would grab their hearts and they would find their way into this place and be solely and completely uh, committed to your Holy Spirit, leading them to find their place in the body. Father, I pray that you would continue to bring like-minded believers into this church. Father, so that we can, uh, each one of us, move out of the church uh, services on Sunday and out of our life groups into the community, into more places, more workplaces, more restaurants, more coffee houses, God, more everything grocery stores, and, and bring the gospel, bring water to the people that are thirsty. Challenge our hearts today, God, as we worship. Let our worship be true. But Father, let, let, it con- let it include these thoughts of, of getting outside the walls and that our best form of worship, Lord, is to, to worship you during the week in relation to others. Make that happen, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.